And it dawned on me that the Holy Spirit has been active long before I came along. The Holy Spirit had a role even before that day in Acts 2 when 120 were in the upper room and tongues of fire rested on each one. The Holy Spirit even had a role before Genesis 1. You remember Genesis 1.1, we all know the verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, it gets really weird because it says the earth was formless and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But then it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But that wasn't the first time the Holy Spirit got active. You see, God's Spirit is eternal. He is the third person of the triune Godhead. There are religions all over the world. Christianity is the one religion that says God is one in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And when Pastor Terry said, I want you to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, he is inviting me, tasking me to talk about the third person of the Trinity. And the fact is, if the Spirit of God depended on our existence, in other words, if this, the role and the activity of the Spirit was strictly having to do with my life, that would mean his identity was dependent on me. Let me put it another way. Have you ever seen a movie where uh, the character is like traveling like light years out in space and, and they're like in cryogenically frozen in like a capsule or something and then like the, the, the spaceship finally gets to the destination and it opens up and the person comes out because they've now arrived at the place. You ever seen a movie like this? Just wave at me if you've seen something like this. Some version of this, right? Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit was not like cryogenically frozen and then, like, people showed up and God was like, Pfft. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has no beginning, has no end. The Spirit of God did not get active at one point after a period of dormancy. There's never been a time when the Spirit wasn't God. And His role as we experience it is not a new phenomenon. Has anybody, would, would you dare to kind of raise your hand up even timidly and say, I think I've experienced the Holy Spirit? If that's you, can you raise your hand and I'll, I'll just wait for everybody that must. Okay, almost everybody in this room has said, I think I've experienced the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to tell you. Whatever you have experienced of the Holy Spirit is an extension of how the Holy Spirit has functioned before time began. Whoa, whoa, it's Sunday morning. <laughs> I didn't come, yeah, I didn't, Pastor Mark, why you heard in my head at 1130? Can I invite you to use your imagination? Has anybody ever wondered what it was like in the beginning when God said, let there be light? Can I tell you that whatever the Holy Spirit was doing before that is consistent with whatever you've experienced in the Holy Spirit? And that's why as I started thinking about this, I had another thought. Everybody's eyes are going to glaze over if I start talking about the Holy Spirit in the Godhead and the Trinity and all of these things. People are going to start looking at me like, 
When is lunch? I hope he's quick. This says, and, and the, here's the thing. You've all come here this morning with real needs and real concerns. Some of you have come in here this morning with financial issues that are weighing down on you. Some of you have physical ailments that have been bothering you. Somebody here is dealing with deep relational issues. Maybe you're concerned about job security. And I'm going to sit here and talk about the role of the Holy Spirit between the Father and the Son before time began. And you're going to go, why is he doing this to Pastor Terry, what were you thinking? The bottom line is, if I'm going to be completely transparent with you, what I really want to do is I want to encourage you. I want you to walk out of this place today feeling like God himself deposited something in your soul. I want to equip you. I want to give you something that makes you feel like you can participate in the abundant life that Jesus promised. Like, there's got to be a difference. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to wake up on Sunday morning, you're going to drag yourself, or maybe you skipped, I don't know, but you got to church this morning, and you sang the songs, and you gave the tithes. There's got to be some difference in our lives. And I'm sorry, it's got to be more than just a better version of everybody else's life. bottom line is I have to find the trick. How do I do what I think God told me to do this morning and not bore you to death? So pray for your brother. I'm kind of wondering what if that's the point though. See I, I would like to think that we could all agree that Americans suffer from at least two ego ailments among many. Firstly, I think American Christians tend to be interested in preaching that we think makes our lives better. Let me pause there for a moment and say, if the preaching's good, it's because it made sense to us and somehow we can apply it on Monday morning. I'd submit that that's probably why our churches are so shallow is because really we got nothing more than a honeydew list from God in church. Action point A, B, C, do those things and you'll have a better life. And that's not what Jesus is calling for. Secondly, I'd submit, and maybe you'll disagree, but I think American Christians are not very good at reflection and the contemplation of deeper issues. the transcendent. We don't like big words. And what if taking some time this morning, and I won't be long, believe it or not, I'm not going to be long, but what if taking some time this morning, next week we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. But what if taking time to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of God could heal some of this stuff in us? What if just taking a little bit of time this morning to stretch ourselves and to use our imaginations and to get a little uncomfortable, what if doing that would draw us into a deeper communion with God himself? 
If you're married, if you're engaged, if you're dating, if you've ever been one of those things and are happy to not be that now, thank you. What's it like to be in a, an allegedly romantic relationship that's purely functional? Wash the clothes, mow the grass, pay the bills, take the vacation, check, check, check. Is that life-giving? And yet, we come to church and make it practical, make it pragmatic, show me how to do it. And we wonder why there's no passion. We wonder why there's no mystery. We wonder why people drive by our churches and go, what's the point of that? I can get a self-help book for that. I came here this morning to traffic in the transcendent. I came in here this morning to bring you the depths of God and to challenge you to jump into the deep end of the pool and to suggest that maybe if you do, you might get a little water up your nose this morning, but it's okay. You might go, I don't even know why he's talking about this stuff, but if I can just make you uncomfortable with the business as usual of American Christianity, I've done my job. What if today God opened us up to a new way of thinking about him, a new way of relating to him? And so before we dive in, I want to share a quote with you from C.S. Lewis. He's a British author who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and he says this, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I'm going to just let that sit in the ether for a minute. Our desires are not too strong. They're too weak. We're too easily pleased with a better version of the American dream. We're too easily pleased with pragmatic points and action principles that we think are going to give us a better version of the good life. When God is inviting us, the psalmist says, deep calls unto deep. So maybe I should ask us this morning, what God are you serving? Does he deserve a capital G or should we settle for a lowercase g? Is he ineffable, sublime, unsearchable, transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent? Does he have no limit, no beginning, and no end? If you went to the highest of heights, he's beyond you. And the lowest of lows, he's beneath you. He doesn't exist. In him, existence exists. I'm going to talk like this for about the next 15 minutes, and then you can go to lunch. See, I'm praying that we'll hear things today about the role of the Holy Spirit 
that will spark a divine discontent in you. I want you to go out of here hungry for the depths of God. That the next time somebody tries to pass off God as understandable, you go, I don't think that's true. The church fathers, I'll use a big word for you. It's not in my notes. It's called apophatic. Apple what? Apple watch, what'd you say? Basically, it's a fancy word that means this. God is infinite, and we are finite. Therefore, the only things we can say with confidence about God is what He is not. Because what He is is so far beyond us. That's the end of the pool we want to jump into today. And so I'm praying that you'll walk out of here with a fresh stubbornness from God. You'll be so stubborn, you will refuse to settle for mud pies. And so here we go. I'm going to list four roles of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead that are revealed in the life of Jesus. This list is not in any way conclusive. Please understand that. This list is a long list, but we just have four, and we're going to move through them pretty quickly. So number one, the Spirit expressed the life and the love of the Father and the Son. The Spirit expressed the life and the love of the Father and the Son. So what do we mean by that? Let's start with creation. God created the universe by the Word, the Son. But He spoke the Word. So let me ask you something. The, the Word is the idea. You speak it when the idea finds breath. In other words, let's be real. I'm being practical. I'm not being deep right now. I'm being real plain. In other words, you have a thought in your head right now. Right? That thought becomes speech when breath gets engaged. The Word creates as the Ruach, as the breath of God, as the Spirit of God engages the Son of God, creation happens because the idea is in the Father. I had a, I had a girl in my church in New York who was in community college, and she looked me in the face, and she said, why did God even bother creating everything? Anybody want the microphone to take that question? I loved it. I was so thrilled that she was thinking. God did not create the universe because he was bored. He did not create the universe because he needed something to do. He didn't create the universe because without messed up people, there was no one to love. He didn't create the universe because he has a Messiah complex, even though he is the Messiah. God created the universe because the Father and the Son, loving one another through the Spirit, overflowed into what we call let there be light. The dance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit was so thrilling, so exciting, they were getting down. 
Come on. The joy of God was so great that creation happened. It's called a big bang for sure. You realize that the big bang theory was developed by a priest. Just putting that out there. The Spirit expressed the life and the love of the Father and the Son in creation. Second thing I want to say is that the Spirit expressed the life and the love of God in the incarnation. You remember this? Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among men, and we beheld His glory, John 1.14. He manifest, no, 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 he, he expressed, this is that first point still, the life and the love of the Father and the Son. He did it in creation, and he did it in the incarnation. What am I saying? You might remember the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. Luke chapter 1, write this down, verse 34 and 35. And she says, how can this be? I have not been with a man. And the angel says, it will happen because the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and overshadow you. Mary conceived the Word. The Word became flesh by the Spirit. The Spirit expressed the life and the love of the Father and the Son in Jesus' earthly ministry. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, and immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and who showed up? The Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him, and a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. Who's speaking here? The Father. Do you see a Father, a Son, and a Spirit in these verses? Yes, you do. And in you I am well pleased. But look at verse 12. Immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. Jesus' earthly ministry begins with the activity of the Spirit descending as the Father is speaking, and the Spirit driving him into the wilderness. In Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter, it says the same thing. It's a retelling of this story, but notice it says this in the 14th verse of Luke 4. It says that Jesus came back from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. He shows up in the synagogue. We're talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead. He comes back into Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue. This is Luke 4. They hand him the scroll and they say, Jesus, why don't you read this for us? And he opens it up to Isaiah 61. And the first words out of his mouth are, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This is the activity. So Jesus is going public in Luke 4. Jesus is going public in Mark 1. But Jesus expressing the love of the Father is only possible because of the Spirit. 
Jesus lived for 30 years working with his hands. This is what I don't like. I don't like when we turn Jesus into this sort of superhero creature who's kind of more like a ghost than a human. For 30 years, Jesus was building things with his hands. Calluses, splinters, cuts, scars. He's a real man working real jobs to build things for people. And this Jesus does nothing public in ministry for 30 years until the Spirit descends on him like a dove. I'm glad Jesus stopped building things and started healing things. I'm glad Jesus stopped, right, making and framing houses and he started restoring legs that didn't work and he started raising people from... I'm glad Jesus did that. That transition happens because of the Spirit. Lastly, we see in this area the Spirit expressing the life of God in the formation of the church. What happens in John chapter 20? Jesus has been raised from the dead. He shows up. He just appears in the room with the scared disciples. And it says in John 20, verses 21 and 22, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then it says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, Jesus says to them, well, he's, they say to him, is, is the kingdom going to show up now? He says, don't worry about that. He said, go and wait for the promise of the Father. Because when the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit shows up, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Look at this. In Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, what is that? That's, we're going to move you out from this space because the Spirit is on you. The Spirit of God is the part of the Godhead that is always moving the activity and the love of God outward. Outward. It's opening up. It's the extension of the arms of God. Secondly, the Spirit manifests the will of the Father. So the first one, the Spirit expresses the life and the love of the Father and the Son. Secondly, the Spirit manifests the will of the Father. Jesus came from the Father by the Spirit. Jesus came from the Father by the Spirit. This lets us know how the Father works, how the Spirit works, how the Son works. When you worship Him, when you praise Him, when you pray to Him, when you talk about Him, this is the God you're talking about. Father, Son, Spirit. Father is not Father because He's the boss. Father is Father because He's the source. Some of us had bad dads, abusive dads, neglectful dads. And when you hear Jesus say, when you pray, say, Our Father, and everybody goes, Oh, no. Can I just say God? God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit because the Father is the fountainhead. He is the source of everything comes from him. The Son is the expression of that source, but it only happens by the Spirit. You might remember that Jesus said he only does what, the, what he sees the Father doing. Do you remember that? John 5 and 19, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in the city of Corinth, and he says this, Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen. Stop and pause. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Paul says, things which eye has not seen. Everybody say, see. And ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, verse 10 is the key. For to us, God revealed them. What? Things that the eye hasn't seen. Are you all tracking with me? The things you can't see with your eyes, God reveals, look at this, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. This Jesus can manifest the will of the Father because he can see the will of the Father, and he can see the will of the Father because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. How about this one? The Father raised Jesus. Acts says in Acts, Peter's preaching his sermon in Acts 2. Acts 2, Peter says, I'm actually going to read it because he says it better than I would say it off the top of my head. Acts 2, verse 24, Peter has convinced everybody listening that the, the people are not drunk. And then he says of Jesus, God raised him from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So the Father raised him from the dead. But then Peter, the same dude who preached that sermon, he says in, in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, listen to this. Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. Look at this but made alive in the Spirit. The Father raised Jesus by the Spirit. Is anybody grateful for that? We want to know how. Well, why does that matter? Does anybody hope one day that you're going to be raised? Anybody have a bad week this week? Be honest and put your hand in the air. You have a bad week this week? I see one hand. I see two, three. Okay, you had a bad week this week. How are you glad that this week is not going to define your life? How are you glad that this, this week is not going to determine the weeks to come? How many would like to be able to have hope on the, on the end of a bad week? Part of that hope is that this life is not all there is. If you have a bad week next week, you tell yourself again, this life isn't all there is. If you have a bad year, this year isn't all there is. Because what's going to happen is this life is just the title page and the preface. The book hasn't even started yet. If I can honestly believe that the book hasn't started yet, I can endure a bad cover. I can endure a bad introduction. I can open that thing and say, oh, man, I don't think this is going to be very good. But then when I turn to chapter 1 and that thing comes to life, here's the reality. 
I can hope for a chapter one, a resurrection. Why? Because Jesus got up. Okay, that sounds good. No, 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 no. Closer, closer. We're going deeper, getting down. You can feel the pressure in your head right now. It's because we're going deeper in the pool. Jesus got up by the Spirit, the same Spirit that dwells in you. So because you share the same spirit, you not only have hope, you have confident, godly hope that on the other side of your pulse is a new life. This is what it means. So what do we do? We read Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Whenever the worship leader wants to get people hype in church, what does he say? He says, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. That's the Pentecostal preacher, right? And we're like, yeah, yeah, amen, hallelujah. Woo-hoo-hoo! Somebody gets up and kicks their foot and waves a fan or a hanky or whatever. That's fine, but think about it for a moment. Just breathe in. Numa. That spirit, that confounded Pilate and the Roman Empire, that spirit that got past a sealed stone and guards from Rome, that spirit that got that body up out of the grave is in your body right now. And when that, what did Peter say in Acts 2? He said, the grave could not hold on to Jesus. The grave was trying. Death had its claws around Jesus and trying to hold him. And Jesus is coming to life. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit operating in him. And so what will happen is your body will go into the ground and someday a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will, the Spirit will start to quicken your physical body. This is why it matters. Because if you had a bad week and you can't hold on to this, what are you going to hold on to? If you're going to hold on to something else, I dare say it's not faith. It might be clever. It might be practical. It might even be helpful, but it's not faith. Faith has fresh eyes for bad weeks. So wait a minute. Y'all can kill me. I just realized you can kill me. Fire me. Divorce me. Abandon me. You can kill me and I'm coming back from it. I got one person that's excited about that. But this might be something worth pulling out of the notebook next week. That same spirit. Number three. The spirit empowers the Son. Number one, the Spirit expresses the life and love of the Father and the Son. Number two, the Spirit manifests the will of the Father. Number three, the Spirit empowers the Son. This is very, very important for people having bad weeks. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He knows what's headed his way because he's been talking about it for weeks dare I say, years. He knows that, that his life is done in 24 hours, and it's not just going to stop. It's going to be taken from him violently. He knows this. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Turn over to Mark chapter 14. Verse 34, he says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went beyond three of his disciples, and he fell to the ground and began praying that if it were possible, the hour, the entire moment, that that moment would pass him by. And look at this. And he was saying, Abba, Father, Remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the Godhead. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Look at this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the pivotal moment when Jesus' humanity is rightfully resisting death. And the human will in Jesus that is terrified the human will in Jesus is depressed. It's experiencing the height of anxiety. Jesus' human psyche is on the verge of a break, a psychotic break. That's where he's at. And he says, Abba, Father. Do you know in the entire gospel account, Jesus only says Abba one time, right here. And we might say, well, where is the Spirit? Because Jesus is somehow able to say, when everything is falling apart, Jesus manages to say, not what I want, what you want. He's able to take that human will and lay it down. And all of us are here this morning because he did. All of us have a Bible because he did. All of us have hope for resurrection because he did. This is a moment where if Jesus doesn't have the power to say, not my will, we're done. We have no hope. The universe is broken forever if Jesus does not say these words. We see the Father as the recipient here, Abba, Father. There's no spirit in these verses. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. The writer is talking about the death of Jesus. And he says, how much more will the blood of Christ, look at this, who through the eternal spirit offered himself. When did Jesus offer himself? Jesus did not offer himself to Pilate. Jesus offered himself to his father in the garden. How did Jesus have the power to say, not my will? Through the eternal spirit. If there was any confusion over that, I just want you to think about these words from Paul's letter to the Galatians. You're probably very familiar with them. In Galatians 4, Paul says this incredible line that we've all heard, but I, I don't know if you've ever connected it to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. In other words, 
the same spirit that gave Jesus the words in Gethsemane is in you. Abba, Father, are words that only flow because of an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we close with this. The Spirit facilitates communion and community. He facilitates the communion of the Father and the Son. In other words, He is the expression of love between the Father and the Son. But he is also the expression of love between the Son and the church. We're about to say something quite radical here. And that is to be a member of the body of Christ. Just think about the words I just used. To be a member of the body of Christ is to be caught up into the person of Jesus. And what is Jesus a part of? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So if you have unbroken communion with Jesus, who else do you have unbroken communion with? The Father by the Spirit. Just in case you thought I was a heretic, Jesus' words in John 14. Starting at verse 16, Jesus says this, John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not yet see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world, will no, it will, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you will also live. Now, key in on this verse. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. When we can appreciate the role of the Holy Spirit between the Father and the Son, creating unbroken fellowship before there ever was time, before there ever was light, before there ever was matter, there was love. The love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father, and that love was realized by the movement of the Holy Spirit between the two. Suddenly we see this dance of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that is getting so intense and is so beautiful that it explodes with what we call Genesis 1-1. And then we read a verse that says the same Spirit dwells in you. We read the same verse. Notice Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. That means there already was one. That means Jesus, the Spirit of God, is the Spirit of Jesus. When we say Holy Spirit, we mean the Spirit of Jesus. Have you ever talked about somebody saying, oh, I love their spirit? What do you mean? I love their essence. I love their energy. I love, there's just that thing about them. I love it. 
Can you imagine what it would be like to sit with Jesus 2,000 years ago in Galilee? What was his energy like? What was his spirit like? I hate even saying that out loud because the moment you say that, oh, the spirit of... No, 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 no. Humanly. Humanly. What was his spirit like? What was... like? Man, you realize he was irresistible. The worst people in the world couldn't stay away from him. If you were a thief, if you were a whore, if you were demon-possessed, you wanted to be by Jesus. He was so magnetic, even his enemies couldn't leave him alone. They couldn't ignore him. They had to ask him questions all the time. That spirit is the Holy Spirit from the Father who made Jesus' life humanly possible, took that human life and raised it up in a glorified state. It's been poured out in us. Don't forget, Jesus' birth was by the Spirit. Jesus' ministry was by the Spirit. From beginning to end, from Jordan to Gethsemane, from baptism to surrender, the Spirit was there descending on him, empowering him. Jesus' death on the cross was by the Spirit. What does Jesus say? Don't you know I can call 10,000 angels? But he didn't because of the Spirit. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was by the Spirit. And all of it reveals the love of God. All of it opens up and extends the love of God to us because of the Spirit. God has sent that Spirit into our hearts this morning, crying out, Abba, Father. Because of that spirit, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. He said, Pastor Mark, I'm a woman. You're a spiritual son. You know what that language means? It's a metaphor. Ladies, hear me. You have full access to full inheritance and full rights and privileges that any son in second century Israel had. Don't Miss the metaphor. Guess what? I want to be a bride. You don't hear the men complaining about being a bride because I want all the rights and privileges that come with being a bride. So when you hear that you're no longer a slave, you're a son, think about the prodigal coming back from the pig pen. He said, I'm not even going to talk to him about being his son. I just want to be a worker. He couldn't even get it out of his mouth. And the father said, get my ring, get my robe, put the, the meat on the barbecue. We're going to have a party because my son has come home. Let's bow our heads. Father, this morning...